Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Boring app of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the On Air podcast. We hope you had a good week and enjoyed last week's episode and the episode before that. They were very similar. It was like an accidental two-parter. Um, but this week we were complaining about having stories about Britain and Sweden and houses and <laughs> weird things like that. And we've kind of got exactly the same again, but also very different. So if any other country would like to do anything, honestly, would be really grateful. Yeah, we're trying really hard. It's like, I know that we've got a bit of a bias because we talk most about the British and the Swedish royal family on our blogs and things, but like, we are trying to cover other royal families. It's just no one's doing anything. <laughs> yeah, if, you know, something dramatic happens in Belgium, we are going to be right on it. Yeah. <laughs> Until that point, we are staying in Sweden and Britain. But we thought we would start with the slightly smaller topic, which is our Swedish focus of the week and our, also our house focus of the week because that's what we are now, a housing blog. Yep. Kirsty and Phil. <laughs> the news that has come out that Princess Madeline and her husband Christopher O'Neill and their children will be moving back to Stockholm in August indefinitely. Yes. So they will be living in a property in the Royal Stables, which is just part of the royal complex really um in Stockholm actually which I no. did think I was like they're living in the stables and I did a bit of googling and I was like no. yeah the king really really downgraded them so they're gonna be living with the horses um yeah no there's um like apartments and things that the although they say apartments I don't know how big they are uh, but that's what they call them apartments um we've learned from the last few episodes that when they say cottage or something like that it's very rarely a cottage that we would as we would imagine it so I'm sure the apartment has like 16 bedrooms but um <laughs> that's yeah that's where they're going to be living for a bit of background so we talked in our Valentine's Day episode a little bit about Princess Madeline's first move away from Sweden so in 20 2009-2010 she was engaged to somebody else Jonas and then he cheated on her and it was a very public and messy breakup because they were engaged and had been planning to marry. So that's quite a big deal. And so to get away from the press attention and uh, kind of start fresh, she moved to New York City in 2010. And she lived there for a while. It's where she met Chris. In 2015, they then moved to London, uh, which was said to be some a move that was done because of Chris's business. He works in kind of investments and finance there's a whole lot of googling of what his job is and I think I was like does he sell like card machines to companies <laughs> sure that's what it is. I, I don't really know I think it's I think it's something in investment investment banking but I don't really understand any of that I just know they make a lot of money so um he does something in that finance space that makes him a lot of money but I don't nobody else understands it um, so they moved to London in 2015 uh, for Chris's job. And then in 2018, they moved to Florida, which I found out at the time because I was very confused about why they moved to Florida. But I found out at the time that it is quite a hub for investment banking, apparently. And there's a lot of bankers who've moved there over the last few years. Um, apparently, it's the hotspot. Um, the things you learn. The things you learn, I know. Um, and now they are back in or they're going to be back in Sweden as of autumn time. I know I was looking at the um the how much they've I mean Leonor is like nine and she's lived in like multiple continents many countries she's moved so many times and it's all been like transatlantic moves like they've gone from like Sweden to New York to London to Florida to Sweden yeah it's uh it's uh she's very yeah very well traveled as a child uh, much <laughs> much better than I was um I went to Birmingham sometimes <laughs> Of all the places to go to. I know. <laughs> um, so I kind of, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised about this story. So I'm surprised in some respects, just because um, Madeline now has been living overseas for 13 years, really, um, at various places, but overseas for 13 years. And their children were born in different places and have, you know, had spent their childhoods in different places and things, but they've all spent their lives, their entire lives living abroad. 
Um, so in some ways, I think it was kind of a surprise that after 13 years, they're finally coming back to Sweden. Yeah, I was completely shocked. I think when they moved to Florida in 2018, I felt like that was that was it then. They were yeah. that was their final sort of they'd had all the kids or most of the kids and I know Adrienne was born after that point, but they were like, Yep, yeah, we've moved and we're settling setting up home here and we're not we're not coming back now. We've made our decision um to move and we've we've chosen Florida of all places. So yeah, I was not expecting them to ever come back to Sweden. So I was very shocked. I thought maybe, you know, people move away for like five years or something, but 13 years, three kids, I thought, well, this is kind of, this is Madeline's life now. It's not going to be in Sweden and we all just have to be, you know, we all just have to accept that and be okay with that. Um, So yeah, in one respect, it was surprising. In the other respect, it kind of wasn't surprising because I think when you watch Madeline give interviews, she always talks about how much she loves Sweden and how much she misses her family and how much she wishes she could be in Sweden. And like when they moved to London in particular and then to Florida as, as well, it was kind of specifically said in like the press releases that they were moving for Chris's job, um, which always felt kind of bad for Chris. Like um, he's got to make money for his family, but everyone's like, oh, it's his fault. Um, <laughs> Chris is ruining it for us. Chris is ruining it. Um, and, and so I, I've always felt, and I think this is a common consensus that, if Madeline had a completely free choice, she probably would have moved back to Sweden quite a long time ago. So the fact that she wants to move back to Sweden or that there was even a conversation about it doesn't surprise me. And I wonder if, I mean, I, we don't know exactly why it's happening now, um, but my sort of, my theory, which is abs- based on absolutely nothing, so it might be complete nonsense, is that like a lot of other people, during COVID, maybe Chris realised actually I can investment bank or whatever he does um, <laughs> from anywhere in the world I don't have to be in the same location as other people so I can move back to Sweden and that could be fine but I think yeah it, I suppose on the one hand it was really surprising just because it had never been something had been indicated that they were going to do but in another way it wasn't surprising because I think that they always Madeline always wanted to. Yeah I think I did when I was doing my deep dive into trying to figure out what the hell Chris does um and his um obviously his current business like the headquarters are in London still even though he works in Miami in Florida so I imagine there was clearly a point where during the pandemic and he couldn't you know leave his home to go to work let alone travel to London to do whatever it is he does in London so he must have to come semi-regularly um there was a point where he was like hang on a second I can just not travel all over the world and it still work still gets done and it doesn't dip in quality and I also think you know Covid was definitely at a time when people were sort of community and sort of family became such a big thing and I think for Madeline being stuck on a different continent from her family would have been much bigger deal because she's always been so close to them. I, I think I had a similar response like I'm hoping to move back to Scotland because I want to be closer to me. My parents live in Spain and I can't, unfortunately, because of stupid Brexit, can't go (laughs) over there um, and live. But I would like to be closer. You know, I spent part of the pandemic with my aunt and uncle up in the northeast of Scotland where I'm from. And just like watching TV together and having dinners together. I hadn't realised how much I'd missed that. So, yeah, I think maybe maybe it's nothing to do with the pandemic but that's my sort of conspiracy theory my friend my nice harmless conspiracy theory is that it was sort of COVID related they realized Chris could be anywhere to do his job but Madeline can't be anywhere to be with her family yeah I've also got like super secret hidden conspiracy theory that it's for them they kind of said like we're gonna it's almost like a we'll go and try yeah the wording where it said relocate indefinitely was such a weird way to phrase it because every time you move is indefinite. Like <laughs> every time we've moved so far has been indefinite and they tend not to say that. So I imagine they were like, right, we'll go back. It's obviously, it's a big year in Sweden. It's um, Carl Gustav's golden jubilee. Um, so they were like, oh, we'll go back. We'll see how it goes. And then either it works out really well and we stay or it doesn't work out. And then we've not lied. We've said indefinite we went six months yeah because it's it's yeah they in the english language version of the press release it says permanent um and then in the swedish version when you translate it it says indefinite permanent does imply that they're never going to live anywhere else but it might just be 
it might just be a translation thing um indefinitely like yeah that just means you don't have an end date in mind um it could be two weeks after uh because they did they actually did this really weird thing when um before they moved to london in 2015 they um in like the february they announced that madeline and the family were coming back to live in sweden and then um in april i think it was it's like two months later they announced that they were moving to london um, yeah it was a really weird thing um so you know it could happen that could happen again we could be talking about this again in two months when they decided they're going to move to Germany or something but I think we don't really know what this means one of the reasons again that it was sort of surprising was that the trajectory over the last few years has felt like they've been moving further and further from Sweden not necessarily in geographical distance necessarily but like in New York City, when Madeline was there before she got married and then kind of the early part of the marriage, she did loads of engagements in New York that were kind of like Swedish-American uh, clubs and um, things like that. And she, Childhood, which is a charity that was founded by her mother, Queen Sylvia, which Madeline is on the board of, they have an office in New York City. So she was always doing stuff for childhood. And then when she moved to London, she was obviously sort of physically close. So she could come over quite a lot to Sweden. It's not a particularly long flight compared to New York to Sweden. But then when they moved to Florida, I know that they've obviously had the pandemic taking up like two years of that. But even before the pandemic and now since it's kind of over, um, she doesn't really do anything or do a substantial amount in Florida that like connects to the Swedish community. And she also has been really sort of reducing the amount that she comes back. So it used to be that we would know she would come back for National Day, her sister's birthday, Victoria Dagen, um, and the Nobel Prize in the, in the Christmas period. And, uh, so, and usually her, her dad's birthday as well in April. And now it's like, she might come back for Victoria Dagen. Who knows? Um, it's it's very much felt like she's been sort of moving. The trajectory for a while has been moving away from royal life in Sweden. And so I don't know necessarily whether moving back will change that or not. That We don't know that yet. Yeah, I was like, my first thought once I'd got over the surprise was like, oh, does that mean Madeline's actually going to do some engagements? Yeah. Because she, she doesn't. But then I was like, well, Carl Philip and Sophia don't do masses of engagements um and I think if you when we when we sort of think about it and I always sort of compare what Madeline does now to kind of her like 2015-2016 workload when she was in London so she was still fairly close she would come back fairly often um she did engagements in Sweden like and in London um and it felt like quite a steady pace but since then not only you know has a still you know become an 11 year old who occasionally does engagements with her parents um but like Sophia obviously married into the family in 2015 and um all of these different things have happened and I think compared to 2016 Sophia and Carl Philippe do far fewer engagements than they used to and because of the way that the sort of the Swedish royal family have slightly almost like adjusted their business model of having like their sort of core of the king, the queen, the crown princess couple and sort of going into Estelle and Oscar and then like the supporting figures of Carl Philippe and Sophia. And then I'm really interested in, is Madeline going to kind of slot into that? Is she just going to go to the Nobel Prize like she used to? Or is she going to do like two engagements a month? I, I, don't, I don't know. She's still got that connection to childhood. So that's kind of a good um, opportunity. She might be able to do more, in fact, because Florida doesn't have a childhood office. So she's now going to be based somewhere where there is an office so she can do that work, um, which might count towards um, her sort of royal work. Um, I did notice that she took on a new patronage in Sweden not that long ago. So and she hasn't done that for a while, as far as I know. So I'm hopeful that there will be, you know, uh, the occasional thing. I think anyone who's expecting her to go back to like what she was in 2009 or um, <laughs> to Victoria and Daniel's level is probably wrong. But I would, I'd love her to be at the level of of um, Carl Philip and Sophia of just kind of, you know, I think you know they turn up at sort of state banquets and um, uh, the lunches for people who are visiting for state visits. And it would be lovely to see Madeline at those things again, because she hasn't attended them for a really long time. And obviously, again, less tiara opportunities. <laughs> yeah, I think 
on it like on the most superficial level it would just be so nice to see her more because obviously the pandemic was a real sort of impact but even like you know last year when they could travel again she didn't come back for the nobles yeah. because she was going back for Christmas and you know and it made sense because it must be you know Chris has got a job Leonor must have been attending school in the States to be like oh sorry I'm just popping over to Sweden to wear a tiara we'll be back in the weekend and then we'll go again in two weeks doesn't make any sense like financially or environmentally or logistically but it, it it's like it, we did I, I missed her she's my second favorite royal I was like I want to see Madeline more so I'm very excited for her to be back even if you know it's just a case of seeing her in the summer at the concerts you know or um do, doing things like going to those you know like the dinners and the lunches or you know taking Adrienne to visit her duchy all those little things that the Swedish royals do yeah I think well that's another thing it's also it'll be nice to potentially see the children doing things I think there again there has been a general shift in the royal family towards obviously the king the queen and the crown princess family you know we do occasionally see the little kids uh, Carl Philip and Sophia's children even if it's not an official engagement but they'll show up at like well Carl Philip does a lot of I think it's go-karting I don't know if that's (laughs) if that's actually what it is it's like racing I don't know what, what they. I really hope it's go karting. It might go karting might be. For, it's like go karting with an engine. I think that's what he does. Um, and he does that quite a lot. And like the, uh, Sophia and her family and the children will often be watching on the sidelines, and we'll get photographs and cute videos. And um, they're much more protected in Florida, which I'm sure is great for the family. But um, it does mean that kind of we don't get to see them just sort of out and about at these kind of sanctioned opportunities. So, and, you know, we, we talked about Nicholas's visit to his duchy in one of our earlier episodes, but he was substantially older than most kids are when, in the Swedish royal family when they do that visit. And um, it would be really nice to kind of see Adrian do hers before she's too old. Well, not too old. She's, I mean, she's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like but when she's got, it's still young and cute because we just, we haven't really, really been able to see her much and form a, an idea about what her personality is. So I think it's it's partly, um, it's exciting because we could see more of Madeline just just in those engagements where they need more uh, seats to be filled or boots on the ground, you know, and they invite the whole family, it'd be lovely to see her. Um, But I also think that it could give more opportunities for us to see the children. And um, that's something that's really exciting too. When um, Leonor and Estelle were the only children, like they were together all the time and they were like, they were like, they're cousins obviously, but they were like sisters. They were together so much. And Victoria and Madeline both spoke about how it was like, you know, it was them as junior, <laughs> like mini versions. And, you know, I'm sure they're all still really close. And when we've seen them together, when they have been back over in Sweden, they've all got on, all the cousins seem really lovely and happy, but it must've been, I think, hard for Madeline as well to watch her children growing up away from their cousins when, you know, she did see Leonore and Estelle with that, have such a close relationship at the beginning. And obviously it's a lot harder for Victoria and Daniel to fly over to Florida for a visit. So it kind of always had to be from Chris and Madeline to go back over. So I think it will just be, it will be nice for those moments, you know, just to see them together again, like to see Estelle and Leonor um, doing something, you know, not an engagement necessarily, but watching something together, things like that. I just think that'll be very sweet because we do see more of that in Sweden than we do in the other countries yes. anyway. So I would love it if Carl Gustav gave us a gift of a photograph of maybe him and Sylvia. They don't have to be there. I don't mind. But um, <laughs> if they want to make it more, I don't know, relevant, then they can be in it if they if they need to be with all their grandchildren. Yes, a proper grandchildren photo. Yeah, because I mean, we be we know that there were photographs that existed of the Queen um, and Philip with most of their great grandchildren. We've seen fuzzy versions of it in the background, but they never released it, and I'm still very bitter about that. So I'd love it if Carl Gustav could do the right thing and correct that. And share a photograph with all of them. Yes, that's what you need. Just like, it's the Golden Jubilee. It's the best time mm. to release birthday family photos. To have all the kids, they can be sat outside because it's Sweden. They always do that outside pictures on a hay bale or something. <laughs> so cute. And it does smooth over a sticky issue, which I have been complaining about for nine years. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is going to be my heavy, boring bit about the law. Um, I'm sure everyone's very excited. Uh, So in the Swedish constitution, it states that in order to be a prince or princess, you have to be raised within the realm, which is fantastic wording. Um, Sounds like (laughs) Game of Thrones, isn't it? 
Um, but the government um, at the time of Leonor's birth, they also confirmed that their interpretation of the constitution was that you couldn't be in the line of succession if you were raised outside the realm. So that's not in the constitution. It just says prince and pr you can't be prince and princess, but that's what the government said their interpretation was. And the king, obviously Leonor was born in New York and there was no sign at the time that she was born that she was going they were going to be moving back. Um, and so the, the king claimed that raised within the realm meant, oh, it means going to school in Sweden. So as long as they go to school in Sweden, it's fine. So they can stay away for like the next six years. It's totally fine. Um, and then they started school and they were still abroad. And Carl Gustav just buried his head in the sand and decided to completely ignore it. Because I'm not listening. Not listening. La la la. You can't make me listen. Um, and then he made this announcement that we've kind of hinted at already about the royal family and the royal house. So this is, a, a, we've talked about it in previous episodes, but if you haven't listened to those, it's a divide that exists in other royal families, like in Norway, where it's basically like the royal family is kind of everyone who is related to um, the monarch. The royal house is kind of the main line of important people. So in Sweden, they announced that the, the royal house would be the king and queen, Victoria and Daniel, and their children, Estelle and Oscar. And all of the others would just be members of the royal family. And to Carl Gustaf, he felt that the matter was closed because the wording in the constitution says that in order to be a prince and princess of the royal house, you have to have been raised within the realm. So I'm not going to get into the detail of, of that, but it was a bit of a bit of a sneaky, underhand kind of interpretation that he didn't really stick to in lots of situations and it, he thought it resolved the matter it did not in my opinion but anyway now that the children are back in Sweden I kind of I'm willing to overlook the fact that they spent several years abroad because if they stay in Sweden from now on then I would say yeah they were probably raised within the realm I'm willing to forget that they spent that brief period of time living somewhere else and I actually am really happy about that because I really hated complaining about it on a selfish note, I wanted Madeline to be in Sweden just because I like her and I wanted to see her more. Um, but I wasn't saying that she can't do what's right for her family and that she can't live overseas. I was just saying that I would quite like it if the royals observed the law of their country. That was all <laughs> That was all I was saying. And it was mostly King Carl Gustav, who was I, I thought was at fault. Madeline just was caught calling her children what her dad wanted her to. You know, I think um, I'm really pleased that I don't have to keep complaining about that thing anymore because I, you know, people misinterpreted it. And also I really like Madeline and I don't want to be complaining about her. Yeah, I think um, they start school, elementary school in Sweden a bit later. Like, it is about seven, isn't it? They start yeah, school six in or Sweden. seven. Yeah. And obviously Leonor's old, a little bit older than that. But for Nicholas, that is his age. So yeah. when he starts elementary school in September, it would be him starting school anyway and yeah. obviously Adrian's still so little she's only about it's her birthday this week and I'm like about three maybe yeah <laughs> she's very tiny three or four she's quite small um so she's not at school age yet so you know if Carl Gustaf's uh and initial reading of the law which was they have to be educated in Sweden mm. it does back now fully apply to Nicholas and sort of Adrian and the only one it doesn't is Leonor but I mean nine seven to nine isn't a massive difference so I'm willing to overlook it completely yeah yeah um yeah and I think you know I was always I mean I always think it's quite funny because I in terms of like Britain I'm very strict with their what they can and can't do because I'm British but in the other countries I'm like mm. yeah you do you as long as like as long as it's fun break all the laws but <laughs> I, was like, I don't mind but at the same time it was it felt when they did the the sort of slim lining of the royal house, it felt almost like it felt quite manipulative because they'd gone to the extent of being like, oh, the children who aren't a cell Oscar won't be royal highnesses anymore because it's for them. And Madeline and Carl Philip were like, yep, yeah, big fans of this change. It's good for our children. And they're like, yep. Yeah, and that solves any issues. We never, ever need to talk about anything to do with this ever again. And suddenly people were like, hang on, but it doesn't actually, you're still not following the law, but it was almost like the court had gone, nope, we've changed it now. You're, your fault you're not reading it properly, guys. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, for once the people are right. Yeah, I think, so I said I wasn't going to get into the nitty gritty of things, but I will for a second. I think the problem was, I mean, firstly, I disagreed with his interpretation of it anyway, but I think that um, Julian, 
who is the youngest child of um, Carl Philip and Sophia, he was christened after this change was made. Um, and he was given the Order of the Seraphim, which is the Swedish order. So if you ever see them with like, a pale blue band um, or a pale blue sash, that is the Order of the Seraphim. It's kind of like, you know, the Order of the Garter in the UK, the Order of the Elephant in Denmark and so on. Um, and under this, this sort of statute that governs who can get the Order of the Seraphim, it can only go to members of the royal house. And so... Technically, Julian was not a member of the royal house at that time and shouldn't should have been the only grandchild to not get it. And I understand why Carl Gustav might have thought that was unfair, that he only has, he only has one grandchild who's not allowed to be in the order of the seraphim. But he was interpreting the royal house thing to mean that the kids were exempt from following the constitution when it benefited his family. But then he when it came to Julian, he he interpreted royal house to mean something entirely different to benefit Julian. If, if his argument had been that I've made this change and so they're not in the royal house and so now it doesn't matter anymore, he can't then turn around and co completely contradict himself five seconds later and say, oh, no, 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 they're still in the royal house now. Like that does that just doesn't work. It's like they're in the royal house when I want them to be in the royal house. Guys. So, I'm, I, yeah, I'm really relieved that I don't have to talk about this anymore. Because um, I know that people will be like, well, you didn't have to talk about it. You can talk about whatever you want. But like, I feel <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, I feel like I do. I, I, I think my whole thing is that I am not necessarily a royalist, but I feel like it's important to, to follow people who have a, an important role in society and to make sure that they're following the law is kind of the bare minimum. And so I did feel like I had to talk about it. Um, but now I don't. So that's good. Yeah, I just want to see who does more engagements when they're both in Sweden, Estelle mm. or Madeleine. It's going to be my uh, go-to battle next year. So the second story that we're going to be talking about today is not related to a house. It's Woo! amazing. Woo! No houses in this one. No houses. Um, and so we have finally had some updates after months of annoying speculation. Um <laughs> that well there's a couple of things that we're going to be talking about firstly that harry and megan have confirmed that their children archie and lily will go by prince and princess and then a few days later charles finally presented the duke of edinburgh title to his younger brother prince edward um so we're going to be talking about those two sort of title situations today and i'm gonna kick off just with a very petty note well before we get into the actual love it yeah um <laughs> which is i run a blog as do you grace and we do um i am very irritated at any like i honestly i've said this before i don't care about who has which titles really to be honest doesn't bother me in in any way but um when they change their titles i have to then change all of my tags or i've got like two tags that are for one person so i'm gonna have like archie windsor and prince archie and now people aren't gonna know what to look for and so it's very uh disrespectful of them to do something that is going to be disruptive for my blog. I do not like that. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, a few years ago, I went through all of my tags. And yeah. for the other countries, the ones that aren't Britain, I made them more like Prince and Sweden. They're just like Princess Leonor. But like Spain, I was like, you know, Princess Leonor of Spain. Yeah. Just because I ended up in the situation where there were five Leonors and three Sophias. And I was like, I'm so confused. Who is who anymore? So many Alexandras. I don't know what I'm doing. So a general point is just that whenever you're thinking about titles, please give us some advanced warning. And if you volunteer to change all the tags on my blog for me, that would be really helpful. You've got loads of staff who could do it. Yeah, if some of those social media ones that clearly don't do their job other times, then come and do us. Exactly, yeah. Um. So yeah, I think we're going to talk about Archie and Lily first. Yes. Um, so, I mean, it's really hard to know where to begin. Um, and I've literally written that in my notes because um, <laughs> it was very hard to know what to do it. I think maybe a bit of explanation. Titles are within the gift of the monarch. So the monarch can make me a princess if they wanted to. Um, I, I mean, I'm not holding out any hope. But I think they realised quite a long time ago that it's probably easier to just have some kind of consistent rules. And obviously you can tweak those as the circumstances change. And these rules are generally issued in what is called a letters patent, which is it's basically like a press release, a fancy press release, but it's a statutory instrument. So it has the kind of weight of law without having to go through the legal process. And I think the big thing you hear a lot in the context of Harry and Meghan and their children is the 1917 letters patent. So the 1917 letters patent, 
um, is essentially the one that says all the children of a monarch and all the male line grandchildren of a monarch are entitled to the HRH prince slash princess title. And that is the one that um, kind of governs the main chunk of titles in the UK. It's, you know, the where, where Princess Beatrice and Princess Eugenie's titles have come from because they were male line grandchildren. Um, and it's why Zara and Peter didn't have titles because they were female line grandchildren. I think the only other sort of the other letters pattern that's a really big kind of that's been within the conversation of Archie and Lily's titles was the one that was released in 2012, 2012 by the Queen. Um, and it was all, all children of the eldest son of the Prince of Wales will have the HRH title, Prince, Princess title, because previously it was just the eldest male child. I think a lot of people act like this was something that was done as a reward for William specifically. And it will only impact William. And it, it might not impact anybody else for for many, many generations because the Queen lived an unusually long time as Queen. But it was really just to correct a gender bias. That's the only reason. So the 1917 letters patent said that it was Prince and Princess were the children, male line grandchildren, and then the oldest son of the oldest son of the Prince of Wales. But yeah, um, they could that could have led to a situation where the heir to the throne was female, the oldest child of the oldest child of the Prince of Wales was a female, and she didn't get a princess title, but her younger brother got a prince title. So that's the only reason that they made that correction was just to smooth out that anomaly, because that would have made no sense. Under um, the 1917 letters pattern and the 2012 one, um, Archie and Lily didn't have titles uh, because they were uh, too far down. Uh, so they, they it only applied to William's family as the eldest son of the Prince of Wales. Um, and then when the Queen died, they became the um, male line grandchildren of the new monarch. And so they became prince and princess. And so technically, the second the Queen died, Charles became king and they became prince and princess. And so on paper, this is not really a big deal at all. No, it's one of those things where and it's the kind of thing I've been arguing about for years with Archie's subsidiary title, because as the son of a duke, Archie's had the subsidiary title of Earl of Dumbarton, which is Harry's secondary title since he was born. But his family chose not to use it, which is fine. Um, but it's still his title, like legally, you know, and they but they said he's going to go by Master Archie. So then when he became, you know, when Charles became king, when the queen died, and people were like, oh, are they prince or princess? I don't know. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter. Legally, they are. But maybe they won't use it. It doesn't really affect me. That's just have to follow the law. Well, it was the same with Camilla, really, wasn't it? It was like she was Princess of Wales, but she chose not to use it and to go by Duchess of Cornwall. And But, you know, it's it's not unusual in the royal family to not necessarily use the titles that you have. But that doesn't mean you don't have them. It shouldn't really be a big story that they're just confirming that people will go by something that they've already been technically allowed to go by for six months. I think... The discussion is, of course, complicated by the fact that it's the Sussexes. <clears throat> Sorry, just losing my voice. Um, and everyone is unhinged when it comes to the Sussexes. The, the titles that their children have or use have become quite a weighted issue over the last few years. I think particularly because in the Oprah interview, Megan sort of said that there were conversations about Archie not getting a prince title because Lily hadn't been born. There were conversations about Archie not getting a prince title and well I haven't watched it but I think Oprah sort of was like oh is that because of the color of his skin and she was like oh well we were talking about race and racism at the time so you can draw your own conclusions. From the conversations that Meghan and Harry have had over the last few years lots of people have taken the prince and princess title to be like a sign of whether or not Charles is racist. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least are taking it as a sign of like whether or not Charles is kind of cutting off the Sussexes and punishing them or is endorsing them and trying to get them within the family. Yes, when Archie was born and they, and I say they, this came from the press who were apparently going off um, a release from the Sussexes, but we only ever heard it from the press. They said they didn't want Archie to go by a subsidiary title because they wanted him to grow up and be a private citizen. Which was fine. And in, this is completely off topic. But um, when Harry did that first interview after Archie was born and he was in front of the stables, I always just kind of assumed he was talking to horses. And I don't know why I did that. <laughs> but I was like, oh, it's nice of Harry to give this interview to some horses. 
but every time I think about this issue I just imagine him talking to a bunch of horses and these horses being like mm-hmm yep okay they could probably write a better article than some of the actual journalists to be fair <laughs> yeah it'd be far more intriguing but anyway back to the topic at hand um yeah so I think and I also think it's important to note that people's opinions change mm. over time so Harry and Meghan could have said in when it was actually in 2019 that they didn't want him to have a title and then a few years later been like actually no we've changed our minds we think you should have it and that's entirely their prerogative because yeah. opinions change and it doesn't actually affect anyone else what Archie goes by in his day-to-day life yeah um but like you said I think the thing is and there's not necessarily one person at fault here I think there's a lot of confusion from different people but judging by some of the quotes I've seen from the Oprah interview and some of the things I've seen in um, articles that Megan's done since and extracts from Spare it almost seems like Harry and I'm going to put all the blame on him because he grew up in his family yeah. was did not quite understand how the letters patent worked and that's now become almost like a almost like folklore because there, there's almost like this assumption that Archie was denied a title at birth of yes yeah. um and now people who aren't well versed in British royal law because most people aren't are like well it's really unfair that all of William's children were prince and princess and Archie, the only mixed race child in the direct line of the royal family, wasn't given the prince title. There's something suspicious when legally he was not a prince until the Queen died. Yeah, I definitely I think there is a lot of confusion. You're right about what this means. And I think, again, I haven't watched the interview, but I think from like transcripts and things that I've read that. Um, uh, well, this is, you know, the Sussexes do this quite a lot where they're like vague about things so they have plausible deniability if anybody sort of questions them about it, which is <laughs> quite smart, but they do it quite a lot. And I think. So when Megan was talking about the letters patent and things, everybody seemed to interpret that as meaning that Archie, that she thought Archie should have had a prince title from birth and he didn't. And that was taking some, you know, that was taking something away from him. Um, but she could have been saying that the conversation was that he wouldn't get a title when the Queen died, that Charles was going to change the letters patent or that the Queen was going to change them or something like that, and that he wouldn't get a title moving forward. And so there was a little bit of misinterpretation and a little bit of sort of vagueness and confusion about all of these things. And so, like, I'm not going to speculate on whether or not the conversations actually happened and whether or not there was a conversation about taking away the titles. But I think it's good to say that Charles never had to confer titles onto Archie and Lily. When the Queen was alive, obviously, that was, she, she was the only one who could do it anyway. So it was never on Charles to, to be able to do that. And then the second the Queen died, it was automatic because that's what the rule is. They always would have had those titles unless Charles had changed his mind and issued a new letter of patent or a new statement of some kind to take their titles away. And I think that um, because of all of this extra weight to this situation, it would have been inflammatory to take a title away from from them. Uh, rather, you know, it's different to let somebody have something that they were always going to have that you don't have to specifically confer onto them versus actively taking something away from somebody. So I kind of feel like because of all of the meaning around this situation and and all of the misinterpretation from the public, which has really taken hold, Charles was almost, regardless of what he wanted to do a few years ago, I think he was kind of backed into a corner uh, that he would he was never going to take the titles away from them. Yeah, I think the thing that was most interesting for me would be whether or not the Sussexes would use the titles. Yes. Yeah. Because... Obviously, the, the initial assumption when they said he was going to be Master Archie was that he wasn't going to use titles at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think after some of the earlier interviews, it was like, oh, he'll use the prince title, but just wait until that. And then obviously September happened. And to be fair, there haven't been that many press releases about Archie in the last six months. But, you know, we haven't, they haven't, you know, when Harry was promoting his book, it wasn't like, yes, me and my children, Prince Archie and Princess Lily. Like That didn't happen at any point. There was no way to tell until there was something formal whether or not they were using the titles or not. And as we don't see them very often and the British royal family obviously aren't being like, oh, we'll release a press release about where Archie's going to nursery. We we didn't know if they were going to use them. Um, obviously, it was announced because the Sussexes announced that Lily was christened last week um, and they used in the, their press release Princess Lilibet. Um, so I think that was more, not, not not surprising, but it was probably the more interesting side of things that after all the years the Sussexes had made a decision to use the titles when I think people could quite rightly have assumed they wouldn't. I think that it was really interesting that it came out around Lilibet's christening. I almost think that Buckingham Palace have done something quite clever here. Buckingham Palace 
almost seemed to just not say anything about it for six months to kind of force the Sussexes to make the announcement. If they wanted the children to be prince and princess, they were going to have to make the announcement, essentially what it seems like has happened. Um, and so then when the news came out, Buckingham Palace were like, oh yeah, yeah, they've always had these titles. Um, and we were just <laughs> waiting for the Sussexes to make a decision. You know, it's it, it's always been the case for us from our perspective. And so I think they've managed to take a situation that it felt like Charles had no choice and they've put all of the responsibility for the decision back onto the Sussexes. And so I think that that actually worsens the issue that we were talking about last week in our episode about Harry and Meghan's narrative. So like their US fans particularly like them because they are they think they're anti-monarchy, that they left the royal family and they're trying to bring the monarchy down from the sidelines in the US. But I think it's getting significantly harder to keep claiming that. Um, and especially now that they have chosen to have their children use the titles. So I think it was actually a really clever move from Buckingham Palace to kind of just not do anything for six months and force the Sussexes hand, because now it makes it seem like they were the ones who cared about this and they were the ones who have actively made a decision to link their children to the royal family. Yeah, I definitely thought that when Buckingham Palace hadn't said anything, I assumed they were just going to wait and sort of see how it played out because, as you said, they couldn't pay, they couldn't take away from them without causing a whole host of issues and think pieces that no one wants yeah. to read. Yeah. Um, but also at the same time, they don't need to give it to them. Like at no point, you know. Yeah. Like they they only ever seem to announce statements if someone doesn't have titles, like. Um, not to jump ahead to Edward and Sophie, but when they were getting married, they announced that in advance his children would be styled as the children yeah. of an earl, not the prince and princess titles. So they tend not to announce if someone is doing what they're going to have anyway, only if it yeah. changes. So it was kind of a like, well, we're not saying anything, so you can assume what you like from that. And it is entirely on the Sussex family to make a decision. And then I quite liked as soon as they did, they were like, oh yeah, we're updating the website, just waiting, waiting to find out when. <laughs> website's ready to go like this one list on the real website is actually any relevance to people's titles in real life yeah i know people seem to like the monarchy existed like 900 years before the internet how do you think we knew the line of succession for 900 years without a website just ridiculous the one that always gets me is that it took mia like seven years yeah. to be uploaded like there were other children born and added to the website yeah. in that time did she just not exist to these people they just get forgetting or they have, maybe she bit them or something when she was a child not put me around there she keeps whacking me with her granny's yeah. handbag yeah yeah so I think that that kind of then feeds into whether or not it was the right decision to do this and so I think I think for Charles and for the monarchy uh probably I would say yes because as I've said in previous episodes being a prince or a princess it entitles you to absolutely nothing you don't get to work for the royal family because you're a prince and princess. You don't get money. You don't get security automatically. It's just a word. So I don't really care. I Whether it's right for the Sussexes, for Harry and Meghan, I don't really know. Like you said, the, there's always been this kind of like dual narrative around the Sussexes, particularly since they've left the royal family, with there being this real sort of contingent of Sussex fans and um or who believe they're anti-monarchy or kind of Republicans who are using Harry and Meghan as like a figurehead for their yeah. movement. And there are, and I can, I can understand their kind of initial confusion around that. Mm -hmm. But since the, and I'm going to come out, I've never seen the Oprah interview. I've never read any of Harry's books. I've read one of a couple of Meghan's interviews he's done in the meantime. And obviously via osmosis, I've heard an awful lot about yeah. all of them, but um, Harry and Meghan have, very clearly said on lots of times that they particularly when the queen was alive that they still wanted to represent the queen and um their initial statement when they stepped down was all about they were still going to work for the queen like it was very explicit that they wanted to do their own thing but still function as members of the royal family just in a different way so it was it was kind of a weird situation when everyone was like ah oh, they hate the monarchy yeah but they've never said that they've always said they quite liked it and quite liked being part of it and if it had gone their way they would still be part yeah. of it um, so on that side of things, it makes a lot of sense that um, Archie and Lily have taken on their rightful title. Sounds very like Lion King, but like the Prince and Princess <laughs> title. But at the same time, because there's this such a strong narrative mm. um, and it is the kind of overwhelming one when people think about Harry and Meghan is that, well, they don't like the royal family because they don't have a strong sort of any other strong sort of 
I don't want to say storyline because they're real people, but any other strong sort of message they're pushing or something they're trying to do, it comes off hypocritical. And that seems to be the word I heard from people when they were just talking about the story. It was like, well, if they don't like the royal family, why are they making their children have these titles? And whether Harry and Meghan do like the royal family or not is sort of by the by when the general public now think they've just been very hypocritical in like the biggest possible way. The people who are buying their things and supporting them and reading their books and all those sorts of stuff are generally people who think that they are these anti-monarchist trailblazers. And nothing that they have actually said, as far as I know, lends into that narrative at all. But it's what all of the people around them think. And I just worry that they're going to lose those people if they keep making decisions like this when they don't have to. Um, And I think that's another interesting thing. So their argument, they seem to almost recognise that because they said that they were doing this because it was their children's birthright, which is true. But it was also the birthright of um, Edward and Sophie's children, Louise and James, to be prince and princess because they're male line grandchildren. And as Grace said, before they were even born, it was announced that they would go by um, the titles of a child of an earl rather than and now duke but we'll get to that um (laughs) rather than um using the prince and princess title and then there was a bit of confusion for quite a long time about whether they had been stripped of the titles by the statement the queen gave or whether they just didn't use them and sophie confirmed in an interview a while back that um the children when they get to 18 can decide whether or not they want to go by prince and princess and obviously Louise has chosen not to go by princess and I imagine James will make the same decision when he's older to not go by prince so I don't necessarily know what is right for the children because I don't know them I'm not their parents and it would be wrong for me to say that I do but there was an option that they could just continue to use the normal titles that they have and then at 18 decide if they want to be a prince and princess and I don't know if their birthright overweighs the risk of, I don't know, othering them in a foreign country, that they're the weird ones with the prince and princess title in in their class. Or I think if you compare the York girls and the treatment of Beatrice and Eugenie to Zara, for example, obviously part of it is due to their parents as well, but Beatrice and Eugenie for their entire lives have been viewed, because they're princesses, have been viewed as people who whose lifestyles are funded by the taxpayer. They've always had jobs. They've never been working royals, but they will always be, if you look in the comment section of them on holiday or a party, people will be like, oh, this is what our tax money is going towards. And it's not at all in any way. But because they're princesses, they get that treatment. Whereas Zara, because she's just, you know, was Miss Zara Phillips, that, you know, she was viewed as being a private citizen. And so I think that you know, as I say, I don't know what's right and wrong for children that I have nothing to do with, but I would worry that they're opening themselves up to Archie and Lily being criticised as public figures from now on when they aren't actually public figures. Um, and this situation could have been avoided if they'd said, this is your birthright and we'll let you choose. But for now, we won't give you the most important title and this, this big shiny one rather than the way they've done it, which is, it's your birthright, you'll make this decision, but we will give you your, the big shiny title for the time being. Yeah, it's part of the kind of press release around the titles. The Sussex has said that, you know, it wasn't going to be used in everyday conversation, but in really formal settings. And hey, I'm not entirely sure what formal settings these children are going to, where they're going to need to be referred to as prince and princess. But um, Archie, you know, Lily so far has lived her entire life in the United States. Archie's lived most of his life in the United States. And there seems to be absolutely, you know, no sign from Harry and Meghan that they're going to come to the UK to live anytime soon. So I would assume that Archie and Lily are going to spend their entire childhoods in America. Um, Which, you know, and I'm not saying like there's this massive anti-British narrative in America and they're at risk for their lives. But, you know, America still annually celebrate the day that they did overthrow the British monarchy Um, and to give them the Prince and Princess title is fine but like you said they kind they very much othered them in a way that they would already have been othered because they would have been Harry and Meghan's children but now they're Prince and Princess titles that don't even exist in America but they are you but you know from Harry and Meghan's statement at some point they do expect them to be used in a formal set like what is that is that prom is it you know graduation is it are they expecting them to go to William's coronation and the, it just be then? Yeah, because that, that was a, that is a weird thing because like at school George is not Prince George, like that, that's the same for every single other royal that they don't sort of 
when they're passing each other salt over the dinner table, they're not like, oh, please, could you pass the, the Duke of Kent some salt? They don't do that. <laughs> but, you know, that's just so that's basically they've announced that it's going to work the same as every other title in the world, um, <laughs> which doesn't really seem to need to be in the press release. But also, yeah, I, I think um, it's still even though they've said that the press are now going to call them Prince Archie and Prince Lily forever because those are their titles. So that might not necessarily be considered a formal setting, but it's what they're going to be called forever now. And so people are going to get this idea in their head that Archie and Lily are prince and princess. So that somehow means something. It means that they're public figures, they're royals who can be criticised rather than just ordinary citizens who don't live in the UK anymore. I just, I worry that it kind of, it will create an expectation in the public's mind that they have some kind of ownership over these people because they have royal titles. Yeah, and I also think it's not like Harry and Meghan don't know that the press twist things yeah. or that the public assume things because, you know, Harry has always been very close to the Yorks. Uh, Meghan and Eugenie were friends prior to Harry and Meghan being a thing. So I'm fairly sure at some point one of them, Eugenie or Beatrice, would have gone, oh, it's been so annoying that everyone's blaming me for this when I'm literally just a normal person. And, you know, they've both been very vocal about, you know, the British press and the British public being, you know, assuming the wrong thing about them yeah the you know about harry and megan so it it does just seem like it's it's not i can't remember afraid to phrase this but it's like it's not like they're going into this like with shutters on yeah and they're like what the british media can be mean sometimes like they are very <laughs> vocally aware of it so they they chose to do this and like you said that it's their choice and i don't necessarily think know if it's going to be the right or wrong choice but they chose to do this knowing the risks Let's remember that um, uh, Harry is doing this court case about his security in the UK, despite the fact that <laughs> Beatrice and Eugenie had their security stripped while being princesses. Um, and so he never seems to have recognised that that happened or asked them about it. Or do it. So maybe he genuinely doesn't have a clue that being a princess would open them up to criticism. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe it's like, well, it's not my fault. Maybe every time like Eugenie's gone, oh, it's so hard. There's like, well, maybe Eugenie, you should just not be spending taxpayers' money. She's like, yeah. I don't have any. <laughs> That's what you keep telling yourself. Yeah. So, yes. And then the other big title news from the British royal family is uh, Edward and Sophie. So Edward is the younger brother of um, Prince, uh, not Prince Charles, King Charles. Um, and he was given the Duke of Edinburgh title, which previously belonged to his father, Prince Philip. Um, so when Edward got married to his wife Sophie the Queen said in a statement that she and Philip would give Edward the title Earl of Wessex um, which was lower than his brothers who were dukes the reason that they were comfortable giving him a slightly lower title is that um, one day Edward would get the Duke of Edinburgh title when she and Philip had died um, and so when Philip died the, the title by the laws of inheritance went to Charles and then when the queen died Charles became king um, and so all of his previous titles do what's called merging with the crown which basically just means that they he stops having them and they can be used again and so the Duke of Edinburgh title was available again and now Edward's got it and I will forever be referring to them as inheriting Charles and Camilla's title <laughs> they are the last holders of it not the queen and prince Philip like everyone is saying I'm like, oh, it's so nice that Sophie's got Camilla's old title. What? <laughs> yeah, Camilla's hand-me-down. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I think this, I mean, my first observation is pretty much the same as my observation for the um, the Sussex children, which is that theoretically this shouldn't be surprising because the Queen announced it a very long time ago um, that this is what she wanted and what Philip wanted. But there have been a lot of stories recently that Charles didn't want to give Edward and Sophie the title. Yeah, like in the June 19th, 1999 letters patent, where um, Edward got the Earl of Wessex, the Earldom of Wessex, um, in the press release that they released with it, they said that the Queen, the Duke of Edinburgh and the Prince of Wales had agreed that he would eventually receive the Duke of Edinburgh, the Dukedom of Edinburgh, in due course, which I think is a really key three words at the end there. Because it didn't say at the exact moment when it becomes available. It was just like, when is a good time to give it? Yeah, so I think um, this is different from the situation with the Sussexes, because the Sussexes, it happened automatically under the 1917 letters pattern. So Charles didn't have to confer anything onto anybody. He would only have been able to strip them of the title. Um, whereas with Edward, 
he doesn't get it automatically. It's just sort of floating around in the atmosphere, ready to be handed out to somebody. And so Charles had to actively make that decision. And so when he, and I think particularly because he immediately gave William the Prince of Wales title, like, you know, took five seconds for him to do that, which we all thought would take a while because it has in the past and, you know, they've had to wait for a few months in the past. A lot of people definitely bought into that idea that maybe he isn't going to give the, the title to Edward and Sophie the longer time went on. Uh, the more likely that story seemed. But then, yeah, I think now that it's been announced and it was announced on his birthday, I suspect, looking back, that this was probably something that was always planned that way. I think, like, they were even in Edinburgh. So, and it takes a while to plan things for uh, royal engagements, a few months at least. So he must have known for a few months that he was going to be made Duke of Edinburgh because why else would he be in Edinburgh on that particular day? Um, So I imagine that actually while all of this stuff was going on in the background about Charles wanting to take away something that they'd been promised, um, it actually was probably planned this way the whole time. I'm really interested to know if the um, Commonwealth Day service um, programmes are printed with Earl and Countess of Wessex or Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, Mm. because I imagine they have to print them in advance and by the, obviously by Monday, which is in the past for the listeners, but in the present future for us, like, they are the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh. But did when they sent them to print, did they like sneakily hide that in there, or were they like, yeah, we're going to call you the Earl and Countess of Wessex, and you're going to have to just deal with it for a bit more? They might, maybe they had their printer sign an NDA. Yeah, <laughs> just the local printers like sign this, and that's mm. it. They're going, who's the Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh? Must be an uncle. Just carrying on. Yeah, nobody knows what any of these things, what any of these things mean anyway. So the thing is, I still when William, when I see the Prince and Princess of Wales, I think of William and Kate. When I see the Duchess of Cornwall, I still think of Camilla, but there is nowhere I'm ever going to not think of Philip when I see Duke of Edinburgh. And I always felt like I'd find it really hard for like the, the Wells change and a few things like that. But I've changed quite quickly. For, like I can, Charles is tense. I can call him King Charles. I remember that. And, you know, I remember most of these changes, but I will be like, um, whenever I've seen the Duke of Edinburgh, I'm like, what do you mean Philip's in Edinburgh? He's dead. <laughs> oh, the other one. <laughs> Yeah, it's very rude of them to keep changing these things and using the same stuff because um, it's very confusing for our tiny little brains. Um, (laughs) But I think because of that sort of narrative around things, I mean, I I don't care whether they're Duke of Edinburgh or Duchess of Edinburgh or not, because it really does not impact anything at all. It's a nice thing for them as a family, but it's got nothing to do with me. But I do think it could have been risky if Charles had not given them the title, not because I think anybody in the public actually cares about whether or not Edward and Sophie have this title because nobody does but I think that if Edward and Sophie had wanted the title and Charles wasn't going to give it to them they could have very very easily leaked a lot of stories about how Charles was using his first few months as monarch to spit in his dead parents faces uh, (laughs) by deliberately disregarding the one thing that they they wanted to to do as a legacy and you know have Edward take over and blah 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 um, they could have spun that, and I think that could have been quite damaging to Charles. Not, yeah, not because of the title situation itself, but because of the idea that he was using his first few months to disregard the Queen and Philip. And obviously, you know, oh, he must not agree with them. He must have thought that they did a terrible job. So, yeah, I think that it seems like there was none of that drama in real life in the background. Um, but I think that's probably the right decision, not because I care about whether or not they're Duke and Duchess of Edinburgh, but just because. I can't be bothered with all of that narrative that could have potentially come out. And I think Charles is very lucky to have done this in the most, in the least dramatic way possible. <laughs> I mean, the other, obviously the other side of that is that I do now have to sit through Sophie propaganda well, that's true. for the 50 millionth time. And honestly, I am just losing my will to live sometimes. Might be like, the Queen's beloved daughter. I'm like, no, she had a beloved daughter. Her name was Anne. Yeah, it's like the daughter she never had. It's like, uh, what about Anne? It's like, the daughter she <laughs> never had. <laughs> honestly it's like honestly when I I was at school and I was just coming to the it was I must have been I was taking the kids out to do some forest school outside and paint some sticks nice um and I glanced at my phone because it was in my pocket and I watched it at the time and I saw the breaking news update and I was like what <laughs> and obviously about three seconds later I got over it because it didn't really impact me but I had thoroughly just decided that it wasn't going to happen and I was like yes, yes take that Sophie fans I was like, no, it was a take that to me instead. <laughs> You're laughing at me now, you royals. Yeah, so Sophie is sitting somewhere laughing at you. She's got a picture of you up on the wall and she throws, throws darts at it. But yes, I had to deal with that. And I feel like that's going to, I 
seen this like little clip of Edward saying like my duchess and I've seen loads of people being like oh I'm so happy for them what a brilliant achievement for Edward and Sophie I'm so proud and I'm like I'm not proud of these 50 year old people for having another useless title (laughs) not making me proud of them yeah that's what it boils down to really what what is our life growth (laughs) why do we talk about all of this stuff but I think the the interesting thing again this will be the thing that probably is quite boring for everybody else but for me very interesting is that it said specifically in the press release that the title has been conferred onto Edward for life. Generally, peerages will be inherited through the male line. And so this is quite a big break from convention. Obviously, there's loads of people in the House of Lords who are given barren titles just for life. But anything above that typically has been for, like, the king's mistress. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't think Edward is. Um... And so I think it's actually quite a smart midway because obviously for years we've heard about Charles wanting to slim down the monarchy. We don't know if that's actually true, but there's always been this talk of his desire to do that. I think he also, on the other hand, needs to respect what his parents wanted and he needs to be shown to be supporting uh, or sort of following on from uh, from what they would have wanted. Um, And so this is kind of a good midway point because he's giving the title to Edward as they wanted but the title will not be inherited by Edward's son, James. It will go back to the, the crown to be awarded to somebody else as soon as Edward passes away. Yes, yeah, like not to sound like a Tory, but I'm, I'm getting really fed up of nice dukedoms leaving the royal yeah. line. <laughs> because I'm looking, like, if you look at the current dukedoms that are being used by royals, you've got obviously Cambridge and Cornwall, um, Sussex, Kent, Gloucester, um, now Edinburgh and the earldom of Wessex like they are the sort of core royal mm. ones and with the exception of Cambridge and Cornwall which are going to convert revert convert revert to the crown or to George in the case of um Cornwall like Sussex Gloucester and Kent and the earldom of Wessex are all going to leave the royal line you know within one or two generations so and I'm not sitting there like crying myself to sleep over that it's not like causing a big impact on my life but the Duke Dub of Edinburgh just sounds really nice. And it obviously is the Philip and the Queen one. It was their dukedom. So it's got this real heavy royal connection. So he already has a son. So and James's children aren't going to be royals. So if it carried on, the Dukedom of Edinburgh would just be going down this line of random Windsor boys for forever. Whereas it's such a and I think particularly now there are some titles that are very historically significant um to um, the royal family but now because it was Philip it's so significant to the current royal family it's one that they kind of want to bring back in um, and they keep losing them because people like the Duke of Windsor keep doing you know minor things like abdicating as king and then becoming friends with Nazis so like you don't really want to bring that one back in so they are kind of running out of dukedoms to give out yeah I mean first world problems but um <laughs> yeah they, they are I think I think it provides a really good model for the future um, because, as you say, it means that titles don't pass out of the royal family, and so um, they can kind of be awarded to one person for their life, and then it doesn't really matter whether or not their children work for the royal family or not, or um, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how many children they have and if they have boys or any of that sort of thing. It's given to one person in recognition of the fact that they are doing something for the royal family at present, um, rather than I'm giving this to you and even if all of your descendants don't work for the royal family or move abroad or hate us um, they'll still get to inherit the titles under these rules it makes sense passing out of the royal family doesn't just mean that the royal family loses the titles but it also means that eventually it just becomes an ordinary peerage so like any other dukedom like the duke of norfolk or whatever and um, under the current rules of the country there's a certain number of places in the house of lords which are specifically restricted for um, members of the peerage. And they can't all get a place, but if you've got a peerage, you can put yourself forward as a candidate, essentially. And then they all vote amongst themselves and decide who gets to go in. And so I think it's good for the long-term democracy because it's not, we're not, you know, the Duke of Kent title and the Duke of Gloucester title in a generation or two, they're going to be ordinary peer, peers who can sit for, who are, who are like another person who can sit for um, the House of Lords, which ordinary people just can't do. Um, and so it, it reduces the likelihood of that happening in the future. Basically, he's not just creating a bunch of new peerages um, and a bunch of new people to potentially sit in the House of Lords unfairly. Yeah, I think I would love it because it's, it's the way that it happens in Sweden. And not yeah. that like Sweden's would be the model everyone uses, but it should be. It should be. Because... <laughs> 
I really hope it continues going forward because um, not not to say titles are a little bit unequal or anything. This yeah. <laughs> unequal thing, but they they really are. And it's like you know, even if you look back at kind of the prince and princess titles, like Prince Charlotte's children won't have titles unless they give her husband a dukedom. Um, and there's so many sort of intricacies, and obviously this most recent change has sort of reminded everyone that Louis, even though the the current y- young members of the royal family are sort of eldest child downwards, Louise was still born when it was male preference. So while James, who was 15, is now Earl of Wessex and um, Viscount Severn, and when um, Edward dies, he'll be Earl of Wessex and Forfa and Viscount Severn, Louise is still just Lady Louise. If you remove this sort of hereditary aspect of dukedoms and earldoms and just make it for that one person, it does equalise a bit because then you could give someone like Madeline, they gave her the duke, the dukedom, the duchess stuff. <laughs> you know, she's a duchess in her own right. She's not a duchess via Chris because Chris doesn't have a title. So it would open up the opportunity for when Charlotte is older or, you know, George's children, if he has boys and girls and they get married, like Charlotte could get the dukedom rather than Charlotte's husband and it just balances out of it because it's just for her and her partner rather than her and her many children. Royalty is not equal. Um, Hereditary (laughs) monarchy is not equal and um, that's a much wider thing than just the (laughs) awarding of titles. It's it's the whole institution but that doesn't mean that you can't do what you can within the structure that you have to try and make it as equal as possible and I think it just makes it seem more like um, somebody's being recognized for something that they have done so most people in the British royal family are given a dukedom when they get married and so by that point they've already been a working royal for a few years and kind of shown their commitment and so it's kind of like a nice present that is sort of a seal of approval that you have done something for the monarchy. It's kind of like a like an honour, <clears throat> I suppose, like a being member member of the Order of the Garter or something, rather than just something that you're given because you happen to be related to somebody else, like the prince and princess title. That still exists for that situation to just mark you out as being special. But the dukedom thing should be something that is that you've earned almost. Right. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode of the On Air podcast. Keep your fingers crossed that somebody outside of Britain and Sweden does something interesting over the next week. Other than that, please do rate us five stars and listen to all of our previous episodes or get in touch with us if you want to. Um, But other than that, it is a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.